Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Sit down if you need. The hits just keep on coming. It's voices up close. Here is your host, Mark Benson. You are dialed in. Fresh episode, Voices Up Close, available on demand, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. I'm glad you put us on your earbuds today. We'll share more from the booth, best calls, moments they won't forget, and the way of life off air from the prep work to managing family. It can be done. Combining both avenues of life here on this podcast. You want a human jackknife of play-by-play? Here's one of them. Currently, ESPN, Pac-12 Networks, the Oakland Athletics, previously the Miami Marlins, Cal Golden Bears men's hoops, and he's even been heard on broadcast with the San Francisco Giants, the XFL, and the San Jose Sharks. He can do it all. Roxy Bernstein, our guest on Voices Up Close. This will be a fun one. Roxy and I go back to 2004. We shared the booth with the High Desert Mavericks in minor league baseball, and he held the number one play-by-play job there. I teamed with them for middle innings and the occasional fill-in. Roxy's next baseball adventure, the Major League booth with the Marlins. Maybe I helped. That job search aided by the legendary baseball voice John Miller. We'll learn more about that relationship along with the pandemic and how he's staying active even though no baseball for now. In the balance, you aim for a national broadcast. We'll learn his philosophy. We'll even hear what he has to do with the 90s band Counting Crows. Aaron Rodgers also. By the way, you can find Roxy on Twitter at Roxy Bernstein. Roxy is certainly a treat. This calls R2 across baseball, basketball, and the football landscape. Go ahead. Take a listen. Five to shoot. Pass right corner. Rubaka steps back. Pump fake. Goes by Collison. Off balance. Leads in for a three. Right side. Good. Rubaka a three. Three, two, one. It's over. The Bears have upset UCLA. And they will move on to the semifinals to take on Oregon. 2-1 to Pujols. Driven to left. And it's deep. It is way back there. And Albert Pujols has hit it out. Albert Pujols, his 13th home run, a line drive smash into the Angels' bullpen. And everybody's standing and applauding in St. Louis. Moving toward his left, Herbert pumps, throws for the left corner. Did he get a foot in? Touchdown, Oregon. Huskies showing blitz. Here comes the pressure. Picked up underneath from right to left. Mitchell stutter step. Cuts it back to the right. Dances into the end zone. Touchdown, Oregon. Five seconds. Noel. Swatted by Aiden Green at the heart for the win! Oh, my! Dominic Green off the loose ball after Aiden blocks the shot. Hits the game winner for Washington. The voice behind men's college basketball since 2011 with ESPN. Also college football, women's college hoops. Major League Baseball also on the resume. Roxy Bernstein joining us here on Voices Up Close. Roxy, great to have you along, my friend. What are you likeliest to call play-by-play if you're around the half during these days? <laughs> uh, my kids shooting hoops or shooting pucks in the driveway. Uh, maybe the occasional tennis match between my two kids. So that's about the extent of my... Uh, my working these days, if you will, I haven't been doing much at all. The last three months, I, like everybody else, pretty much I've been in shutdown mode and just waiting and itching to get back. And at some point, I do get back to work. How far are the kids dialing it up out there? Uh, 
know, out to the three-point line, you know, for, for hoops, you know. And he, he, my, my son's getting his wrist shot and trying to improve that and, and take advantage of those opportunities right now because, let's face it, there's not much to do. We're still right now in transition, and it's with that a great chance here to share some more time with you. I mean, it kind of brings me back to our days in Adelanto, California, you anchoring play-by-play call. Myself getting first licks, uh, middle innings coverage with the High Desert Mavericks. And uh, I think back with how much I've grown so much professionally and personally since those days when, you know, we all had flip phones. How do you measure growth uh, over the course of a decade and a half? Well, hopefully not by my waistline. (laughs) Uh, It's just... I, I judge it, Mike, is just by my happiness and and being content with my situation, and you know, being going through a number of experiences and working for the Marlins for three years and being in South Florida for a lot of the year and and back here in the off season, you realize what's important to you and the, and the family and and for the happiness for our family was being here in Northern California, and that's where I want to be and. Okay, how do I make this work? And and things have developed the right way for me. Whether you know it's hopping on with ESPN, whether it's the forming of the Pac-12 network when the league expanded, uh, working with the Oakland A's as I do, um, it gives it affords me the ability to to live here in the Bay, or raise our kids here around family uh, in a great area with great schools. And I think that's the way I look at it right now, Mike, more than anything, it's just, okay, my happiness and my life away from work, because, you know, I could pretty much have, I could have had a lot of opportunities to move and go places and do things and work for different organizations. But uh, I I've chosen, this is where I want to be. And it's, I'm very happy with the way things have turned out. When did you finalize that goal of locale in relation to your career? Um, I, I pretty much knew it. This is what I wanted. And uh, doing Cal basketball on the radio for a long time, it also afforded me the opportunity to, to be here in the Bay Area. But it, it really drove into me the three years I was in Miami with the Marlins. Uh, commuting cross-country wasn't easy. Uh, starting a young family at that time, getting married around that time as well. Uh made me realize more and more what was important and i think it just solidified and cemented everything that that's where i want to be and how do i make it work and i've been able to do it and i've been lucky enough and and have good opportunities with my employers and working for espn it's they've been fantastic and they've given me that option and and i don't take it for granted that i'm able to do what i want to do and live where i want to live one of the greatest compliments anyone could ever pay you, it comes from your agent, Kevin Belby, and he told me that you could pick up the mic for any sport today and call it flawlessly. What do you find as the greatest challenge moving from sport to sport? Well, first off, I pay him, so keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, so he has to say nice things about me. Um the terminology, the pacing is different among the sports. And baseball is probably the most difficult of the three because the pacing is so different. And, uh, you know, I, as you know, I, I've called the NHL. I've called Major League Baseball. I've called the NFL, college football. I've done uh, NBA stuff as well as college basketball. It's just the different sports 
And for example, it's the terminology is completely different in all the sports. Uh, but one thing that doesn't change is the homework and the prep. Okay, the number of people it might change. For example, football, when you're looking out at the depth chart of three deep, you know, on rosters, when you college football, you've got upwards of 60, 70 people on a roster that you need to be aware of. Where basketball, and face it, basketball, you're focused in on 12 guys. Uh, baseball, it's 25 at most on each team. The NHL, it's 20 essentially with 18 skaters and two goalies so the preparation varies but at the same time the attention you give that preparation can't change when you call a game for a team that employs you maybe a bit different than calling in for a network where you're telling a completely different story and giving it completely different context. How do you shift the mind mentally as far as telling a story for one team on air versus national coverage? Well, that's your mindset also coming in, remembering who your audience is. For example, on national broadcast, when I'm on social media, I'm getting embarked at from both sides and I'm being a homer the other way. That's a, that's a pretty good sign that I'm doing my job. And I'm always entertained by that. Um, and at the end of the day, you realize your audience is a more national audience. So the way you have to be is down the middle, giving uh, it a 50-50 split as much as possible. But also remember that, okay, it's not just fans of Team A or Team B. There's also the casual fan that's tuning in. So you just can't specifically make it to that audience when i'm doing games for the oakland a's or for a long time when i was doing cal games or when i was doing games for the san jose sharks um, you know your audience and you know what they want to hear but at the same time you have your credibility and professionalism on the line you just can't be an outright blatant homer i will never refer to the team i'm working for as we uh i'm not on the team i'm not out there but either between the lines or, you know, putting, uh, lacing up my skates. That's, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, my job is to report what I see and at the best way possible, inform and entertain the audience. But at the same time, you know who your audience is, you know what they want to hear, and you factor that in during the course of your broadcast and when you're presenting it. Give me one game in history, any sport, you would love to have a crack at behind the mic. Oh, my gosh. Um, one game I'd love to have a crack at. Well, I haven't seen my alma mater in a Rose Bowl, so that I, I, doesn't count, right? Cal in a Rose Bowl? <laughs> Close uh, enough, yeah. Or uh, Cal in a Final Four hasn't happened in my lifetime either. Uh, those are two. I mean, that's, I, I guess we're all hoping to get to that point where uh, we get that dream scenario or game to call, whether it's an Oakland A's playoff game or a game seven of a, a Stanley Cup playoffs. I think we're all kind of striving for that. And the, the minute we think we've hit the mountaintop, maybe that's not a good thing. Um, you know, you can kind of equate it to a musician, right? And when you think you've written that ultimate number one hit, is it all downhill from there? 
So I think there is some similarities in that. There's a number of things I'd like to do. Um, and I, I've had great opportunities to call games. And, you know, I've gotten to do playoffs and postseason games, which are fantastic. But I don't know if there's that, that one, I have to do this or I have to do that because, okay, what happens next? I haven't seen Cal win a national championship in a major sport. I did call an NIT championship, yeah. which doesn't necessarily <laughs> count the same. Uh, I did get an opportunity to call some baseball when they were in Omaha in the College World Series, which was pretty special. But uh, the, the teams I've been connected to, Okay, I can't. I wasn't old enough in '89 when the A's won last won the World Series and swept the Giants, so that doesn't count. I'd say maybe during the length of my professional career, maybe Game Six in 2016 of the Stanley Cup playoffs when mm -hmm. the Sharks beat the St. Louis Blues and advanced in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in their franchise history. I was at the game. I took my son to that game, and he got to see it firsthand. But uh, are you trying to come in? No. See, my son all of a sudden heard I was Hello. talking about him. And Jake tried to come into the shot there. Okay. Um, Jake said hello to the podcast. Yeah. He, he just, he's the one to let me know he's taking off and going on a bike ride. Uh, but I, that, was, that was a pretty special moment for me personally. And for my family, my son was six at the time. And to be able to see that in, in the 25th year of their organization, to do that, and having worked for that organization, that was a, a special moment. How do you find the best day at home during the middle of a pandemic? <laughs> uh, trying to keep everything, keep the brain going uh, as much as possible. And it's not easy, as you know. We're getting bored, man. We, <laughs> we, this, you know, we call games. We want to work. This, and... Look, I'm enjoying the family time that I've been having. I've never been home like you, Mike. Yep, same. We've never been home for this extended period of time. As we're talking here, I've been home for three months and one day. Right? I came home from Vegas on March 12th, wrapping up the our, and the college basketball season came crashing to a halt. Yeah. And I had done the first day of the Pac-12 tournament on that Wednesday, the 11th which happened to be my daughter's 13th birthday. I was there in Vegas. And then I'm preparing to work on March 12th. I've got two games to prepare for. I had Oregon, Oregon State coming up at noon. And then I had an, also a, a game at 2.30, which the Arizona Wildcats were playing in. Uh, but all of a sudden, you get the rug pulled out from underneath you. Instead of going to T-Mobile Arena in Vegas for the quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament and then heading to Anaheim for the Big West tournament semis and championship, I'm scrambling to get on a flight to come home, and I've been home ever since. And it's, it's been bizarre and with nothing to do. There's no games to call. Okay, I've done an occasional talk show, whether it's for Sirius XM or station I used to stuff for here in San Francisco. But that's the extent. I mean, I'm doing a lot of reading. I'm trying to stay abreast of what's happening and hoping to get back to work. But at this point, I open up, you know, if I were to open up my calendar right now, I've got nothing on it, Mike. And I, it's just a bizarre feeling that I've had since everything went into shutdown mode. How are you staying active? Uh, I'm walking every day. I'm going about four to five miles a day. Oof. Yeah. Hey, you know, you got to do it. 
and time out. That okay, that kills about an hour and fifteen minutes, maybe. Uh, trying to do some other exercises as well. I've been dealing with a neck issue, which is not fun. Uh, so some uh, exercises through physical therapy and some strengthening stuff, which is, of course, what everybody wants to hear about. Uh, but also I've been playing tennis with my kids, shooting hoops, shooting pucks in the driveway with my kids. Um, yeah, and that's the extent. You know, I was binge-watching some stuff, Netflix, uh, watching the news to see, okay, what's happening. That's right now probably very similar to a lot of people around the country and how their days are going right now. Occasional trip to the store, grabbing takeout. That That's a look into my day, the sneak peek, and it's very exciting. Almost kind of feels like if you walk any further than four or five miles, you might start growing the forest gump beard as you get closer and closer toward uh, the Bay Bridge out there. Well, I've been shaving every two weeks. <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time I put deodorant on. Uh what else? At least I'm showering two or three times a day. That gives me something to look forward to. Scenty and fresh. <laughs> Roxy Bernstein joining us here and Voices Up Close. Before we get deeper into it, craziest day in your career. What was it? Craziest day in my career. Oh, boy. Um, I've had some unique ones. Um, gosh, 2006, I was working for the Marlins at the time. It was pretty nuts. Um, it was early August, and the Marlins were just about to get swept in a series by the Dodgers. Post-game, right after the game, Joe Girardi gets fired by the Marlins. So, And we don't have this information until we went off the air with the post-game shows. We didn't talk about it, and I had no idea what was going on. This was before Twitter, so there wasn't that avenue to get the information instantaneous uh, social media clearly isn't what it is now like it was back then in 2006 so we sign off the air and then i go downstairs and you find out the manager's been fired even though the team is playing unbelievably well and then you learned out the reasons as to why it happened and i was then scrambling to to the airport to go see family before we were beginning a road trip in Washington on Tuesday. So I was trying to fly back to the West Coast. I'm on the flight, and then I find out that Joe Girardi's been rehired within 45 <laughs> minutes as the manager again of the Marlins. And then you fast forward, so I guess I'm taking 24 into 72 hours here, but after the off day Monday, I uh, take first flight out, 6 a.m. Tuesday from San Francisco. I get to Reagan National in, in D.C. and land at about 2.20 in the afternoon, go straight to the ballpark. And then I've got to do a pregame show with Joe Girardi and interview him about, <laughs> boy, how's your last 48 hours been? <laughs> um, that was probably as crazy a time and a situation that I've dealt with. There's been some other stuff. Uh, uh, it's the scariest thing I ever dealt with when I was filling in for Dan Rusinowski doing uh, the Sharks broadcast on radio. And this is late 2000. No, it was early 2001. It was January of 01. Sharks have a back-to-back -back, uh, playing in Dallas on a Friday night and St. Louis on a Saturday. So the game on Friday, the Sharks win at the old reunion arena there against the Stars. We scuttle off to Love Field in the airport. 
to get to fly to St. Louis, and we board up the plane, and everything's great. And on takeoff, I notice the plane is rattling around, and something's going on here that's not normal. And I'm looking next to the guy I'm sitting with, Chris Parker, who was in the front office, and we both had that same look. Okay, something's not right, but we don't know. So we proceed to steadily incline on takeoff. And we get up in the air, and the pilot comes on and, and says, we have a little bit of an issue. We have to turn around and go back to Dallas. We have blown a tire on takeoff, and the tire cut the hydraulic line to the plane. So at that point, we're looking at each other, and you know, I'll clean it up for your audience here. But uh-oh, oh snap. That means the pilot can't fly the darn plane, or he can't steer it. And so we're sitting there looking at one another, and we just know this isn't good. We don't know the extent of it. Then all of a sudden, the cockpit door flies open. And you see the pilot, he's got those big uh, elect, like uh, gloves on that you put on, you know, the, the special gloves. And he unscrews the floorboard in the cockpit, and he is pulling wires with these gloves. He is steering the plane by pulling these wires as we're hovering over Dallas. So <laughs> then he says we have to drop fuel. We have to leak fuel before we can attempt a landing. We had to land at DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth, because they have the emergency personnel to handle a situation like this. And we're just, okay, what is going on here? And then he proceeds to let, we got one shot at this, right? He can't go down and try to go back up. Once he's going down, you know, for a landing, we're going in and that's it, right? So we're hovering, circling DFW, and we see a runway lined with fire trucks. I mean, they're lined up the entire way. And when I say there was a lot of fire trucks, there were a ton of fire trucks on this runway. The pilot made an unbelievable, beautiful landing. It was fantastic. Uh, we're all safe. Nothing happened. Uh, it, was the, it was a little bit unique. They had the foam that they were spraying out on the runway as we were landing, and everything was wonderful, thank, thankfully. Go back to the Hotel Dallas, spend the night there, fly to St. Louis the next morning, and then beat the blues in overtime to wrap up a road trip and fly home on a different plane. When did you pitch this here to any film uh, companies? <laughs> It'd probably be unbelievable. <laughs> the show. Time now for the show. Roxy Bernstein, our guest on Voices Up Close, and time to take a look at the best calls from the years right now in the history books for you, Roxy. Number one, Albert Pujols, this dinger. 2-1 to Pujols, driven to left, and it's deep. It is way back there, and Albert Pujols has hit it out. Albert Pujols, his 13th home run, a line drive smash into the Angels' bullpen and everybody standing and applauding in St. Louis. You've had a chance to call a lot of talent for Major League Baseball. What do you recall most about that moment? That was a special weekend. Look, I have no emotional attachment to Pujols and the St. Louis Cardinals. and he, It was his first return to St. Louis since leaving to join the Angels. And this was all about Albert Pujols the entire weekend. 
Every first off, as you know, St. Louis, a great baseball town with great fans who are passionate and love their players and their teams. But they also, and Albert Pujols did so much that organization. And so his return coming back, they gave him a standing ovation every single at bat. It was fantastic to see, and you get caught up in it. And emotionally, it's it's pretty cool to be a part of that. And then. Um, even though the, the Cardinals had the lead on Saturday in game two of the series, Albert Pujols hits a home run. And the whole place goes bonkers. I mean, how many times do you see when a guy for the opposing team hits a home run and the standing ovation won't end? They won't sit out. Numerous curtain calls for Albert Pujols coming out. And to be there for that moment, knowing what he meant to that franchise and that city and the happiness he brought in the World Series championships and, and being an MVP, you get swept up in that. So that was a special moment, one of my favorite calls, even though I don't have a personal attachment to the, the Cardinals or Albert Pujols, but I, it certainly was emotional to be there on that day to see that. And that's what I remember most is the outpouring of love from the St. Louis fans appreciating a player coming back for the first time, even though when he left, it wasn't necessarily in the happiest of situations because he chose to take a free agent contract for more money and more years to security with the Angels and stay with what was a competitive but not necessarily the same uh, – demands in the contract that it, they were from the, the two teams number two you caught a foul ball in the booth <laughs> that was yeah that was fun um on the i was on the road with the a's in texas and playing the rangers in mid-july where it seems sweltering heat of course uh and sitting back just calling the game we're in the fourth inning doing play by play and uh all of a sudden, you know, I'm sitting there, and I look, and there's a ball that's coming back my way, and a foul ball, and I literally, here's a 2-1 pitch, swinging a foul back this way, and I caught it, <laughs> and I tried not to break stride. I didn't. I stuck out my left hand, and I caught it one-handed. <laughs> And then Vince Catronio, who I'm working with, and we're having a dialogue, and I'm looking for a young fan to give the ball to. And I dropped it for a little girl. She couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old. And that was a pretty cool moment to be able to call that. And, you know, all the texts start coming in from people that they were either listening or, you know, social media these days. And all of a sudden, it's there. And... That was pretty neat. And even after the ball game, I go down to the clubhouse. And I've known, first off, I've known Marcus Simeon, a shortstop, since he was in high school playing over in the East Bay. I went to college with his dad, right? Uh, his dad was a terrific wide receiver at Cal. And so I go to the clubhouse after the game, and Marcus just kind of slyly goes to me, hey, nice catch. I'm like, <laughs> you saw that? He goes, I'm the shortstop. I see everything. <laughs> you got to have eyes for that. Number three. Yeah. With the Oakland Athletics, 2015, they beat the Texas Rangers 8-0 on opening day, but a chance to call a home run, something pretty special for a day like that. Why is it? Yeah, just a, opening night, the, the, the building's full, sold out, the excitement for a new season. It's, when it's opening night, 
everybody gets caught up in it, right? They they get so it's part of I guess the love affair that people have with baseball. They romanticize about what could be for that season and opening night because you know that tells that over the course of 162 games, opening night's going to dictate everything. So. A's are already up in the ball game, like three or four nothing, and Stephen Boat's up at the plate in the seventh inning, and he crushes one down the line in right field, and just the roar of the crowd at opening night for a home run to seal the deal, and that, that was a pretty special moment for me as well. That was my first opening night with the A's that I'd worked. I hadn't worked opening day. I'd done a lot of games midseason, but I hadn't done an opening night game with them or opening day for that matter with them. And so I think that also made it pretty special. 36,000 fans plus went home happy after that and an eight nothing win over the Texas Rangers. Number four behind the mic for the now Miami Marlins back then Florida Marlins, a no hitter for Anibal Sanchez. So I was working with the hall of famer, legendary Dave Van Horn. And normally we don't go down to the field unless there's something that's happening. Well, there was something that was happening. Anibal Sanchez had a no-hitter. Normally the whole game, we're both in the booth. We don't necessarily have a player on postgame. But because Sanchez has thrown a no-hitter, all right, well, let's go down. So I'm literally standing in the first base dugout, which was the Marlins dugout, waiting for the game to end because I'm going to interview Anibal Sanchez after the no-hitter. And so I'm staying there. It's two outs in the ninth inning. Eric Burns is at the plate. And Eric Burns hits what should be a routine ground ball to short. Hanley Ramirez playing shortstop. Probably was a little bit too, I don't want to say complacent, but he certainly took his time. I'm getting the ball to first. I mean, he comes up with the ground ball, takes a look at it, looks for Bud Selig's signature, and then decides <laughs> to throw it over to first base. And I'm standing literally right near first base. And I swear to this day, and I've talked to Eric Burns about this, that he was safe. But two outs in the ninth inning on a bang-bang play. He's out. No hitter. Everybody comes pouring out of the dugout. I get to interview him right after. It's the only major league no-hitter that I've called. And it was special to be a part of on that night where there was a – it just was an unbelievable season, and that was another step along the way for that team because that Marlins team was the only team in the history of baseball that has gone from 20 games below 500. They were 11-31, and 31, 42 games out of the game. And they're the only team in Major League history to have – to make it above 500 in that same season. And that was the same year that Joe Girardi in early August was fired and then brought back 45 minutes. Just It was the craziest, zaniest season. And that was another chapter in what was that 2006 Florida Marlins. Number five for the school that you went to and the first team that you called college basketball for with Cal, Richard Midgley drills a three to win a game for the Golden Bears in the NCAA tournament. It was, it was pretty neat. Uh, at the buzzer in overtime, did knock off uh, Julius Hodge, who went on to the NBA from NC State. And Herb Sendick was the coach there. But just with everything riding on the line, we know the drama and the excitement that the NCAA tournament brings and the passion and, and the buzzer beaters, especially for me always that the, the first round, those two days of the first round, Mike, are the best. And this was one of those games. And it was back and forth the whole way. It was tied between Cal and NC State. 
You go into overtime, and Richard Midgley buries a three, and just the emotions of everything and how dramatic of a win it was and special to be a part of that. The work. Word association. Time now for word association. Roxy, as always, good for a good story. This should be fun. Number one, Bill Walton. (sighs) (laughs) Um, Crazy. He is first off the best. I I love working with Bill. Uh, I never know what to expect. Uh, I have no idea where the broadcast is going to go, but it's fun. And he's so great to be around, so gracious with his time, not just to me, but to everybody. Um, Just a phenomenal person. He's brilliant. Uh, Every time I work with him, I do cherish it. I really do. I I may not seem like it on the air, but I really do because he is just such a wonderful, giving person. And he, he couldn't be any nicer or more disarming. Number two, lead singer for the Counting Crows, Adam Duritz. Passionate. He's about as passionate about his alma mater as anybody can be, and I'm in the same boat with him. And I've commiserated a lot of wins, and or I should say losses with him, but celebrated a lot of wins. Uh, just a good, loyal friend. And uh, just ecstatic that he's as close to me as he is and he's had a lot to do with uh, me being the person that I am today number three Aaron Rodgers the man he's first first off he's loyal to anybody that's loyal to him from way back when like I was we're still friendly today he's just he's loyal he is as competitive as anybody I've ever been around he's also brilliant so smart understands gets it and it's not by accident the success that he's had there is you know there's certainly been a chip on his shoulder for whatever reason but whatever has motivated him along the way it's paved him to the highest success in winning a super bowl and on and off the field he is just a fantastic person number four the san jose sharks Probably, other than the A's, can I do get paid by the A's. But the team that I don't take a paycheck from at this point, I have in the past. Uh, the team I care about, probably the professional team I care about as much as anyone. Uh, just from a young age, I loved the game of hockey. And then when Sharks came into his existence, I was a fan from day one. It was a privilege to, to work for them for a the time that I did and they were so great and so professional and could not have been a better group to work for when I did. Uh, and I still, to this day, it's the only team that I, other than the A's that I get wrapped up emotionally. Yes. The 49ers win or lose. I, you know, I, I get caught up, but then after I could turn the page pretty quickly. Sharks, that's a completely different story. Number five, Candlestick Park. Sad that it's not there anymore. Not missing any night games and going to games there, but uh, it, w- it certainly was a dump, but it was our dump, and it's like the Coliseum. You know, I grew up going to games at both Candlestick and the Coliseum, 
and the A's and Giants here with two teams in the Bay Area, the 49ers, and going to games there as a kid. And it's crazy that the weather for, like, Monday Night Football in November was better than it was for a Giants game in, like, June or July. But people can call it a dump, but unless you lived here, it's our dump, and you can't call it a dump. Number six, John Miller. He's been a mentor to me. Um, when I was first starting to, to crack in and and getting opportunities and having a chance to work with him when I did call games with the Giants in 2003, he couldn't have been better. He couldn't have been more gracious in offering to help. Uh, and it's pretty assuring and it makes a young broadcaster starting out feel pretty good when the guy who is on top of his field, he was doing Sunday night baseball, Hall of Famer, when he's taking the time to help you along the way, it means a lot to a young aspiring broadcaster. Number seven, Doris Burke. Trailblazer. She has gone about it and has been out in the forefront and has made a name not just for herself but women in the industry and showing what the talent and what women can do. And, yes, they can do the job as well as a man can, and, and there shouldn't be a difference. I don't look at her as a woman. I look at her when I'm working with her as the analyst. Uh, she, when I have the utmost confidence in her, and she is prepared as any broadcaster I've ever worked with, knows the subject matter, entertaining, fun, and the times I've worked with her, it's been a blast, and the successes she's had, it's tremendous. She's, it's well-deserved, all the hard work that she's put in. It's been great to see her career take off. Number eight, the XFL. I miss it. The, the first installment of the XFL. I, I had a hard time getting into the second one because I was thrust right in the middle of the college basketball season. But the first go-around of the XFL, I was a young broadcaster, and they hired me to be the radio voice of the San Francisco Demons. And that was a fun, fun year to be involved with that organization. We played all the way until the big game at the end, which was the million-dollar game. And I was so crushed and disappointed when they pulled the plug after year one because I had a blast. That was a great experience. Number nine, Ben Braun. Another person I looked to as a mentor. I wouldn't be here at least having the success of my career without him. I was 23 years of age, fresh out of college. It was his, he was beginning his second year at Cal. He took Cal to the Sweet 16 in his first year after coming in from Eastern Michigan. He got to know me because I was around the team. I did the pre- and post-game shows at halftime. I was the fill-in, play-by-play guy his first year. And the job opened up going into year two. And Ben lobbied and pushed hard for me to, to be the voice of Cal basketball when you know not a lot of coaches would have cared about who their radio guy is. But he knew me and wanted me around the program, and, and he really lobbied and pushed, and he carried a lot of clout because of the season that he had. Um, and he's a big reason for my success, and I haven't forgotten that, that he really pushed and lobbied for me, and I'm eternally grateful to Ben for – being willing to stick his neck out and trying to help me. Number 10, Gino Toretta. The Heisman Trophy winner. And we have a lot in common because he's from the Bay Area and we hit it off right from the start. We were still good friends to this day. I still occasionally get to call a game or two with him. And the coolest thing was 
he gave me his Heisman for two weeks. I had it in my house. Um, long story short, we had a sponsorship dinner after a game we did in Eugene. We did an Oregon game. And he was flying on one airline. I was on another. The airline that he was flying wouldn't take anything that weighed over 70 pounds. Well, this weighs 75 pounds in the protective case because the trophy itself is about 50 pounds. Um, and so the woman, she had, couldn't, had no idea the, the Heisman Trophy from the Stanley Cup. She had no idea. It didn't matter to her. Didn't register who the Heisman Trophy was or who Gino was. Um, you know, being the Heisman winner in 92 made no difference to her whatsoever. So he looks at me. I'm across the aisle checking in at a different airline. Flights around the same time. He goes, hey, I can't take this. Will you take it? I'm like, what? Heisman? So I had it at my house for two weeks because our next sponsorship dinner is he took it for the network. The sponsors love to take pictures and be around the Heisman. So the next one happened to be we were doing USC at Cal at Memorial Stadium in Berkeley. And sure, I'll take it. So for two weeks, I had the Heisman Trophy sitting in on my living room table. And you took a bunch of pictures, I bet, with oh, that yeah. thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And people were coming over to the house. I was a little uneasy. I was nervous about having it at my house because if word got out, somebody might try to steal it. So it was great having it. And then I did return it to its rightful owner two weeks later. Best hospitality opportunity ever. The letter. Time now for the life. Roxy Bernstein, our guest on Voices Up Close. Roxy, I want to take a deep dive into the homework that you have to do preparing for a game. How much does technology aid you in time and preparation? It has aided me significantly as we've made advances in technology. And the more that's come out, the, the easier it's made my prep and the help it's given me. And it's cut down on my prep time. A lot of stuff I'd have to go diving and searching for previously or just being redundant with my information. Now I'm able to either store it in my computer, I have my charts that I do for each game, and it saves me countless hours, which is great because it allows me to do family stuff where maybe before I had to be anchored at my desk and had to write everything down by hand over and over again. Well, now I've got a database program that I use on my computer to keep that information, and it has significantly helped my preparation. Plus, you know, my handwriting isn't necessarily the best. Um, no, it's not bad enough that I could have been a doctor back in the day, but it's not great either. But it's cleaned everything up, and everything looks neat and precise, and... I can be a little anal about the way I do things about my work, and it's helped me in so many avenues. And I just, you learn how along the way, how you can save time best and try to balance and juggle your life. And technology is a big reason why I've had more of a home life. What's your program? It's called Broadcaster's Edge. Uh, Brian Friedman, uh, who I befriended back in 2006 through Steve Colby, who was the play-by-play -play voice of the Washington Capitals on radio, I popped into his booth when they were in town playing the Panthers. Uh, when I was in Florida for spring training, I drove down from, we trained in Jupiter, and I went down to Sunrise to where the Panthers play, well, was the, at the time, I believe, the National Car Rental Center. And... And I'd met Steve once before when I was doing a Sharks game in D.C. 
and I pop into his booth and I just was enamored with all the stuff that he had and these printouts. I'm like, where'd you, how'd you do this? Just, I became fascinated by this is us broadcasters want to know what everybody else does, how it can help us do our jobs. And so he made the introduction of Brian Friedman, who was early in in his new venture as far as this broadcaster software. And Brian and I became quick friends, and I helped him with some stuff along the way. And But I became a client very early, and it's helped me in every sport prepare for games. Where do you start with preparing a proper spotting board for basketball, for, for football, and then baseball? Um, first off, you just got to make sure you have the right – roster information that's my first that's my starting point is make sure the player information is correct uh the personal information in terms of height weight uh if you're in school for example for a college player years as a pro uh for professional ranks but that's the most important thing to start with the foundation and build it out from there how much time do you spend on the name memorization versus numbers versus stories um it's more so I spend more time on the memorization because I'll have the stories and the anecdotes about players at my disposal on my charts. Uh, or at least I could just pull it up really quickly on my computer because it's in that program. But you have to be – everything has to be the tip of your tongue, especially in the faster pace sports, basketball, football, hockey – than baseball per se, but it has to be right there, and it has to be instantaneous. You can't be fumbling around to look down to see who number 25 was. You have to know right away. Now, if there's a break in the action, in baseball there's plenty of breaks in the action and downtime to go finding these stories you want to weave in and out. But you have to be quick and precise, and that only comes with memorization and knowing precisely not just the team you're covering if you're with the team, but the other team as well. Where have you found the best stories in your career? All over the place, really. Just reading as much material, whether it's in stories written by sports writers, uh, even as far as going to Wikipedia. Uh, there's many ways to get stories talking to people. Uh, and that's why baseball is so important, being around the batting cage, being in the clubhouse, talking to the guys, getting stories. That might be one of the other best avenues. I won't say, Mike, that one avenue is better than the other because they all can be beneficial along the way. What kind of a support system has Sherry, your wife, been, and why is it so valuable for a long career? They have to be understanding, as you know, because our lives are not normal. And they have to understand they're going to be isolated a lot. And they're going to be on their own and juggling things and have to be very independent. And she is, thankfully. Uh, maybe when I come home, I ruin it because she's in a routine and all of a sudden I throw a wrench into the plans. Yeah, well, you know that too. Um, but that comes with the territory. They have to know what they're in store for. And... She did. It's not like this is something that I just all of a sudden, I'm going to do a career change. I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden now they have to adjust. No, she knew what she was in store for when she met me. And, and that's a big part of it. And being supportive and understanding goes a long way toward a happy home life. Sherry and kids, how often do you stay in touch with a family? And what's the best way to do that when you're on the road? 
Uh, FaceTime has become very popular. They love when I'm at a game, like right before I'm going on air, and I pull up FaceTime, the kids do. And all of a sudden, I turn the screen around. They can see where I'm at, whether it's ballpark, stadium, arena, wherever I am, to get a sense of the arena. And they don't really watch me. They don't. You know, they might turn it on for two minutes. Okay, great. There's Daddy in the open. I got to see him on camera. Now let's go back to watching this. So, but, you know, phone calls, uh, obviously texting with the wife. And now that my daughter has a phone at 13, texting with her. But, you know, that's kind of the routine, at least for me, on game day is to FaceTime uh, from the venue so they could see where I'm at and know that I'm thinking of them. Well, this recording here for you and I, not too far off from Father's Day. So in the Bernstein household, what's that day feel like for you? Weird because I'm home. Uh, that I can spend the entire day with them, maybe. They're not as looking forward to it as I know. Uh, I'm actually going to be at the rink for a noontime pickup. So I'm able to do that. Then I'm going to do Father's Day dinner with my dad and his girlfriend down here in the Bay Area. And we're trying to, we have a rest, reservation to sit outside at a restaurant, but we're still trying to figure out if we're comfortable doing that. Instead, of, maybe we'll go grab takeout, but we'll spend time with them and our, my family. We'll see what, you know, what surprise they have in store for me uh, on Father's Day morning. It won't be too long before we finally get you back behind the mic, get to some live games. I'm looking forward to it as well, too. But uh, the, the praying emoji. We, right? are, we, are, we are a day closer and a second closer, finally. Roxy, can't thank you enough here for joining us here today. My pleasure as always, Mike. Right. Thanks for having me. All right, great to have Roxy join us. Again, currently ESPN Pac-12 Networks, the Oakland Athletics. Previously, the Miami Marlins, Cal Golden Bears men's hoops. He's even been heard on broadcast for the San Francisco Giants, the XFL, and San Jose Sharks. Baseball might be coming back soon. As of the week of June 22nd, reports say Major League action back July 24th. If that holds up, Roxy's back behind the mic in a month. Baseball radio a better place with him in it. Not to mention football hoops and more. He's been, he's been associated as a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy because he's funny. He's professional also. I mean, going back to 2004 when he and I teamed up in the High Desert Mavericks radio booth, my canvas to paint a baseball picture and the ability to go with it was absolutely clean. Quite simply, I had a lot to learn. Roxy pointed me in the right direction, and the example he set for preparation, description, and authenticity went a long way. And I recall a conversation we had one time, and I listened to Vince Scully a lot growing up in the Los Angeles area and with the Dodgers. So naturally, you want to pick a human being that you look up to. You may try copying them. Vin is Vin. I'm not Vin. I'm Mike Benton. Roxy was so steadfast at pounding that into me. Don't be somebody that you're not. After that, this precision on air personality and details were habits that sunk in with me. He's been hammering at that for years. And look where it's got him. A chance now to serve listeners across multiple sports, including the biggest platform in the world known as ESPN. I hope the words shared today from Roxy mean a little more for you, especially if you need a refresher in this business or are just starting out. By the way, the software that Roxy mentioned earlier, Broadcaster's Edge, this is not a paid advertisement, but just simply a solution that we both believe in. I use it for my boards in the Western Hockey League. Roxy has sworn by it for years. They offer connectivity across different sports, built-in rosters and information, saving you time and giving you freedom to engage in other parts of preparation that make a difference. For instance, a little more energy into researching stories and also 
uh, conducting interviews. Broadcasters Edge is the place to go. So for that, you can go ahead and order at www.broadcastersedge.com. Again, www.broadcastersedge.com. Big thanks today to Roxy for his time. Pac-12 Networks, ESPN, and Cal Golden Bears Radio for the call today. That'll wrap it up. Find me on Twitter, Benton underscore Mike. Drop me a line. Questions, comments, I'm here to answer. And I'm certainly glad you joined us. Roxy, by the way, again, on Twitter, at Roxy Bernstein. Thanks for joining us. Talk soon. This is Voices Up Close.